Hello and welcome to episode 193 of the In Squash podcast. This is the second of three Malcolm Willstrip tributes, and today we have on Nick Taylor. Uh, Nick uh, had a very prolific uh, pro career, and now he's running the Nick Taylor Squash Academy in Boston. And Nick comes on uh, to give uh, the second tribute uh, of three on Malcolm uh, Willstrip. Malcolm uh, passed away uh, last Monday, unfortunately, and uh, we have Nick to come on to talk about his experiences with Malcolm and, and what he feels uh, Malcolm's impact on his squash and on squash in general over the years has been and it's a, it's a wonderful tribute. Uh, Nick first began to work with Malcolm I believe it was uh, when he was in un- when he was 17 years old and he's had several uh, great uh, opportunities to uh, be with Malcolm and to work with Malcolm uh, both as a player and then also with uh, several having referred several of his own students to Malcolm, including uh, his son Charlie, uh, most recently, and uh, it's been a, a, a tough time, I, I would say, for Nick, because I know what an impact Malcolm's had on his uh, squash over the years and how he feels about Malcolm, and it really uh, comes out in this tribute on episode 193. So I know you're going to enjoy this one, Nick Taylor, episode 193, a tribute to the great Malcolm Wilstrip. How are you doing? Good to see you, sir. You too. But yeah, Nick, thanks for for doing this. And uh, you know, unfortunately, with the um, with the loss uh, of Malcolm, I know uh, you knew him uh, quite well and and had spent some time with him uh, during your squash career. But first, before we uh, get started, how's everything uh, with you, you and the family uh, these days? Things are sort of uh, there's a little bit of light at the end of the end of the tunnel, maybe in terms of the COVID uh, situations uh, in your neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've been we've been very lucky in Massachusetts. I mean, um, you know, we we so, well, I mean, obviously, there's been different stages of opening and and squash or indoor sports, I should say, opened on the sixth of July last year, um, and there were certain protocols in place where you could only play certain numbers. You had to be um, your facility had to meet the standards of our governing body which was us squash so we had to change the filtration and do a a certain cleaning schedule and all that stuff so looking back on it it was it was really challenging because you had we had to do covid screening of the kids you have to do temperature checking all this stuff for all the programs and um you know it's what we had to do to make it safe looking back a lot of work and that's now definitely a lot um a lot more relaxed. I mean, we're, we're still wearing masks. I mean, some people are, are asking whether they, they need to because I'm fully vaccinated, Sarah's fully vaccinated, Olivia's fully vaccinated, Charlie is had his fir- first vaccination, his second one in another week and a half. So, you know, we're, we're still vac- we're vaccinated, but we're still wearing masks because we just feel we want to protect our, our clients and, and our members. So, that will that will be ongoing, and um, you know we'll just continue to 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 do that until Governor Baker says Massachusetts doesn't have to do that anymore. Right on. Yeah, I uh, remember but, uh, when we spoke last time. It was sort of right around when things were were quite bad and when restrictions were were pretty tight. And, and uh, I yeah. just remember, if memory serves, um, that that you were once you sort of took the more of a Dana White. I don't know if you know Dana White. The the yeah. 
yeah, UFC promoter. He he yep. took it really strong in, in stance and said, you know, we're going to follow the guidelines, but we're also going to try to keep the, you know, keep, you know, squash uh, going and try to keep things going uh, as much as we can. And, that, and it seems like that's sort of what you were, what you, you've tried to do uh, in the meantime. Well, well, I, well, I think if you don't do anything, you might not be doing anything for, Two and a half. I mean, Australia have just said they're not even opening their borders up till the middle of 2022. So, you know, you could be, you know, this, you know, look, I am very aware of, you know, the importance of keeping people safe. I want to keep myself safe, but I can't lock myself in the house and still feel feel safe in my house because I've got deliveries from Amazon. I'm meeting people at the door. I mean, nowhere's safe. But we yeah. have to be vigilant. We have to do what yeah. the science is telling us to do. Yeah. And, you know, we have run our, our business very successfully, very safe. We've had no outbreaks. We've had nothing reported back to us. And we've done contact tracing and, and, and we've been safe and we will continue to do so. Right on. Well, uh, we'll get into that uh, a little bit later if we have time, uh, Nick, but that, that, I do remember that last conversation, and and, uh, and I thought at the time that, that that just seems to be the way forward. Uh, that seemed that would be the right way to approach it with a bit of common sense, but still, absolutely, you know, try to yep. keep keep things going because squash, especially our sport, really can't afford to shut down. I mean, and you see what's happening think, with, the, with the program it, right now. It, it, there's no, there are no, there are barely any tournaments going on. Yeah, I think if you look at UK, the UK is in a very difficult situation because they're, you know, they've only just been able to open up. People are probably, you know, the older generations are probably starting to play things like paddle um, or golf, outdoor sports, and they've and, and it's become a little bit more social. They've probably realised that, you know, the game was actually quite tough for them, but they couldn't let it go. Now they have. We're probably never going to get those people back. Yeah. So it, you know, it's very, very challenging for the UK. Um, and I, I've, you know, I've been saying this for ten to twelve years now. I was concerned about the state of squash in the UK twelve years, ten, twelve years ago. Now I think it's it's in a, a real dire situation. And and look, there's pockets, you know, Pontefract is thriving. And it's like I said to Mick Todd, it's okay having a thriving club, but where's your clubs around Pontefract to inspire the players and to inspire the juniors? And if that's not there. You, you become like you become like your own island, like Jersey. Like yes, it's okay, but kids get bored if they haven't got competition. So yeah. it, you know there's challenges. So you know it, it's hopefully they can they can recover from this, but I think it's going to be a real tough tough ask. Yeah, certainly is. I I couldn't agree more too with your take on how you know now that you know squash a lot of places have closed down. Uh, especially older people are, are look uh, decide let's give this paddle a try and then realize, geez, this, this, you know this is easy. You know, squash. Well, you know, well, after every well, time I play squash, I've got to go go to the physiotherapist or whatever. Uh, yeah, well, it, it was funny because 20, 2016, um, where I was working in Jersey, they had um, it was a, what they call the Saint Clements Recreational Grounds, and there's tennis, there's a squash club, there's golf. And they had six tennis courts, which were just sat there, just, you know, just growing mold and grass. And it was just a mess. And I said to, you know, they tried to do like a, a pitch and put course on there. And then they tried to do five aside and it just never, never, they never got planning permission. I said, I said to the, the manager, I said, look, you should put two paddle courts. And he's like, well, what's paddle? 
And I'm like, well, first of all, you're putting two paddle courts on a tennis court. So how can planning refuse that application? You, you can't. It's, you know, it yeah. doesn't make, it wouldn't make sense to. So they ended up putting two paddle courts. It was very, very lightly used. Well, guess what's happened? You know, it's right next to the squash club. Yeah. They are full from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m., seven days a week. Yeah. They've now developed a program there. They've got they've got 50 odd teams playing in the league. The squash club is 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 really struggling. But I saw this vision of not realizing that that the pandemic was going to happen. But there was a market for paddle. Now they put planning permission in for four more paddle courts, and it's going to be the second largest paddle facility in Britain. And mm. I saw that happening back in 2016, and. Who would have thought it's actually come to fruition now that you know the courts are, are yeah. busy? So, you know, I don't I don't talk rubbish all the time, Jerry. You know, <laughs> no, well, no, I, uh, I was uh, I don't know. You probably didn't listen to this episode I had, but it was with uh, well, two guys from the ski resort of Whistler, where I, I used to teach squash there for for a year, which is a fantastic year, by the way. And um, but now they have this racket facility, tennis club where they just put paddle courts in their vision, and they're both squash players, the two guys, they're uh, at heart, they're squash players. Uh, but their vision is to get the squash courts open at this facility and then have everything, they're hoping everything feed off of each other. So it, obviously paddles growing and grown there and it's huge. Uh, hopefully that will feed or bleed into uh, the squash uh, development or growth. And uh, I can see it at my club right now where they just, what you just said, they took these tennis courts, which were growing, you know, no one was using them. They put paddle in there. They're busy seven days a week from morning, not morning because it's too hot, but in the, from evening until the end of the evening, the night. And uh, I'm just hoping that that, you know, people will see the squash courts, which, which are right next door, and then maybe want to give that a try. A lot yeah. of younger people are playing the paddle. Maybe they see. Well, well, I think there's I think there's benefits to you know looking at your climate. You know, you you have a a different situation to us because you are brutal in the summer, mm. you know, and we are ridiculously cold in in the winter. So so and hot in the so, so there's a balance of let's go indoors in the winter and let's go outdoors in the summer. So I think you know if I was able to you know it's still a little pipe dream of mine to build my own you know, facility, which would, would be, you know, squash, mainly squash running, you know, my own academy out of, and, you know, having a couple of paddle courts and maybe a tennis, couple of indoor tennis courts and, you know, and, and having a, a multi-sport facility. And actually El Hindi's just done that. I don't know if you know, El Hindi's just built one in Florida, which oh, really? I'm, okay. I'm going down there in August and, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to, sorry, that's my dog just barking. That's all right. Uh, uh, my my um, dog did that during the, uh, the Simon Park, uh, <laughs> a few days ago. <laughs> I'll, I'll stop him in a minute. Um, but, um, uh, but, um, yeah, so he's just opened that, um, facility up and, and, you know, good luck to him. I'm going down there in August, actually. We're having a two week holiday vacation down there and, holiday and we're going to link him with going down to Miami for a few days and then calling on El Hindi on the way up and I'm going to look at his business plan and what he's done and, and his facility so yeah be good he, he might be a good guy to uh to, to speak to on the podcast then I mean someone yeah he's already yeah, no, no, I think he, not I think only he, was he a very colorful he was a great player colorful uh character yeah. as, as we all know so uh 
Uh, yeah, no, I think he'd love that. I think he'd love that. Strategy. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Uh, well, uh, well, Nick, uh, I reached out to you. Uh, well, the, the main reason was obviously we're we're mourning the, the loss of uh, of Malcolm uh, about a week or so ago, and you knew him as we as we mentioned earlier pretty well, and uh, you know spent time with him. Uh, I guess your first experience was uh, when you were about seventeen years old, and then uh, thereafter, I'm sure you. You bumped into him so uh, a lot and spent time with him. So, what in that first time that you met him when you were seventeen? Obviously, you, you know, his reputation. He's one of these guys whose reputation precedes him. So, when you uh, went to meet him and and uh, met him at seventeen, uh, what type of impact uh, would you say uh, he had uh, on you? At uh, I guess overall on your career uh, throughout the years. And what were you thinking just before meeting him that that, that first time? Well, I think I think before you know I go into that detail, I, I you know I, I I think it's important to know that you know he is, you know by a long way the most, you know, like unbelievable successful coach of all time. I mean, you know, people talk about DP and you know working with you know sort of older juniors, professionals, and then making them world champions, and that's a challenge, but this is a guy who takes people from nappies and makes them world number one. I mean, that that's remarkable. And, you know, Malcolm is, you know, a, a very Marmite character or was a very Marmite character and people didn't like him or people sort of loved him. And, you know, I like that about him because he was, he was very honest uh, and, and, and look, you know, okay. I, I probably disagreed with, with a couple of things he used to, used to say, but, but general, gen, generally I would agree with what he said and he was put on and he, he was, you know, I didn't take that news well at all last Monday. I mean, I, I was, it was a massive shock. I mean, Malcolm, I don't know. And I think people, would, a lot of people would say this, that, you know, I always saw Malcolm on that balcony on the Malk balk, we used to call it like, Tilly was probably 95, 100. I mean, it, it it was just expected. And when I saw the news, a friend of mine actually texted me, he said, get sorry, on Nick, social media. Uh, I mean, for people, sorry to interrupt you, but for people who might not know the reference of the Malk Balkler, there might be uh, people out there who don't know what the reference is. Can you just sort of... Yeah, so, so I actually put it on my story the other day, but it, it's just a small balcony. I mean, it, if, if you were building two glassback courts, you would integrate a balcony um, like this because he would sit on the balcony for, you know, literally all day working different groups and he would just constantly just direct and a little bit off-putting until you get used to it. But then he would just shout small little instructions like, you know, open the racket face, uh, remember the ball goes faster off the glass, you know, just be aware of that, change your positioning, you know, good shot, use height, uh, start to vary the pace a little bit more, keep your balance, all these little small instructions that were just, you know, magically like, you know, just sitting in your memory and in your memory banks and, and working away and, and making you a better player. And, you know, Malcolm has produced 60-plus national junior champions from them two courts. So that was the Mal Balk. And, um, you know, seeing you know seeing the news, a friend of mine messaged me and said, get on social media. And I went on social media. And the first thing I saw was James's post. And I just, you know, I, I'll admit it, I brought down. 
I mean, I just, you know, Sarah was sat here because she's had surgery and I was just so sad and it, I'm emotional now thinking about it because, you know, not being able to speak to him again or cast an eye on Charlie and, and say, you know, he's doing that really well. And actually he's, he's turned out to be a nice boy. He's, you know, he's, he's definitely nicer than you are, Nick. And, you know, those sort of honest, laughable conversations that you have with him. And that's the sense of humor that that people uh, talked about, right? Absolutely. He, He was like, you know, so, so, so that makes me sad that we're not going to see that. And someone posted a photograph of the Mount Balk and he's not on it. And, it, you know, it just gave me goosebumps because, you know, he's not going to be there anymore. And, and that's going to be really tough for, you know, people are going to go in that club for, for weeks and months to come and just, they're going to sob. They're going to cry because he's not there anymore. And he was part of the furniture. And, you know, my early experiences of Malk were back in, I think Parky, I listened to your podcast with Parky back in 1990 at the World Juniors, where I was there in 1990 and I wasn't part of the England team, but I was part of the England squad and I was invited to go there. It was it was an honour that Jonah Barrington invited me there as part of, not part of the team, but as part of Team England. And that was a real, you know, that's definitely a separate conversation because Jonah, you know, taught me so much on that trip. And, and Malcolm was there a little bit later in the week to help and, and sit as part of that formidable team of Paul Wright and, and Jonah and Malcolm. I mean, what team's going to lose with those three players in the corner, uh, those three yeah. coaches in the corner. So that was my first experience of Malcolm. And then soon after I was playing for Heaton and I went to Pontefract and, and I remember, I remember this like it was yesterday and John Hansen, who was the team captain had put himself at one above me. And, and I actually didn't agree with John, but I was a young guy and who was I to argue with that? And yeah. Malcolm looked at the team sheet and he went, Oi. And that's a typical like <laughs> sort of Yorkshire saying. And and John turned round, you know, and said, uh, yes, Malcolm. And he said, What's Nick Taylor doing at number two behind you? There is nowhere Nick Taylor would lose to you. And he no. went, Well, well, you know, we, we haven't played and 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 you know, Nick's improving fast and and he was actually right because you know, I was definitely playing better than him and not that we were trying to like cheat or make the team stronger because that it probably made the team slightly weaker having right. me at two. Yeah, yeah. So I mean you probably had a chance know, to win at one and he yeah, had possibly, a better chance yeah. to win at two. And, yeah. and Heaton was actually unbeatable. I mean, we beat Pontefract five nil that that time and, and that was the sort and that was my first meeting of Malk and I thought, flipping out, maybe Malk actually quite likes me, you know, and he, he rates me as a player and and we hit it off and um you know, I used to, you know, over, you know, probably 20 years, just not not using that as a regular base, but going up and training in his environment and, you know, him welcoming me. And um, and that was my first, you know, real sense of, of being part of, of sort of his, not that I was part of, of the club, but you always felt part of the, you know, you felt welcomed and that's what Malcolm did. And, you know, he, he was, you know, if you were nice and you were respectful and you worked hard and you behaved on court, you were welcome regardless of level. And that's something that I hold true to my academy now. And obviously you need to have, you need to have a, a, an academy structure that benefits the kid. And what I mean by that, Jerry, is that, you know, every parent wants the kid, whether they're beginners or not, straight in working with high level players. It's the worst thing you can do. 
Yeah. It just puts kids off playing squash forever. So you, you have to have a balance and you have to, and that's what I think I do really well is, you know, I give kids an opportunity, dip the toes, see what it's like. Is it work for you? Yes. Well, another keep working on these technical things and then we can in, integrate you in. And a lot of that comes from Malcolm um, yeah. and stuff that I learned subconsciously being in his program and, and things that hold true to this day. And, um, you know, I probably upset a few parents and, but I only tell them the truth, Jerry. I, mm. I, it's not a personal thing. It's kids not good enough. What yeah. what more can I say? You, yeah. you are elevating your child, think they're this good and that's fantastic, but they're not. And that's just the way it is. Keep working hard. And I had that, you know, growing up, mm. my parents, my mum used to say, Nick, you're not good enough. Get over it. <laughs> work yeah. harder, train yeah. harder, get better, listen to your coaches, and then one day you might get a chance. I'm not going to feel sorry for you and go and speak to the coach. You need to you need to man up, sort yourself out, and get on with it. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, there's definitely something to that, right? I mean, you 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 put the, the child where he should be, and then he sees, you know, sees where he could be, and he, you know, the work he has Absolutely. to put in the work to get there. If you, and, if you, and that's the beauty of squash. That, that's if your you, job, right? To make him realize that's my job. And you can do create, it. Create the pathway, and yeah. you're going to have these pushy parents. And certainly in America, they're not bad parents, but they're pushy <laughs> and they elevate the kids and think they're better than they are. And unfortunately, I have to manage that. That's my job, and that's my role. And I wouldn't dream of going in their office and telling them what to do in their job. Don't come into my office and tell me how to do my job. And that's that's really, I mean, that's quite blunt, but that's how I want. And and that that just desensitizes and stops stress. Like, why is yeah. my kid not getting better? Because they've been playing for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, do you know how hard squash is? Why don't you come on and have a game? Like, let's show you how hard it is on here. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Malcolm's taught me a lot of that. That A lot of that is, is down to Malcolm, having the confidence in what you do and, um, you know, I, I, you know, along with lots of other coaches, but Malk, Malk is definitely at the top of the ladder in regards to that way of developing players, and and it works. Yeah, definitely. The proof is in the pudding, as you said. I mean, with all the junior champions and, and national champions that he's produced over the years, and and the tributes that have come out have been uh, just uh, amazing and great to see. Now, so, Jerry, uh, Jerry, can know, I just tell you one more story? Because I think this. Oh, please! Is I, I was going. Well, I was going to say. I was, was going to say. Uh, 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 in the Parky uh, episode, he, he talked about the squash fifty-seven. I don't know if you heard that part. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, and yeah. then, he, then he said, you know, how how he and I forget who it was he was playing with. But you might remember. Uh, and Dave uh, Campion, yeah, around. yeah, oh, Dave, yeah. Uh, how how Malcolm yeah. found upon it, and and well, they were having well, some shits and giggles over. Do you have any yeah. anecdotes like that? Or? No, well, I think I mean I've got plenty of of, of those stories, but I think you know Pontefract obviously got a grant from you know Sport England US and England Squash to develop their facility, and they put a new sign up which obviously said Jim Squash Racquetball, and I'm. I'm sure Malk used to spit on that sign every time he walked into the club. But, but look, you know, Malk was a purist, squash purist. I'm a squash purist. And I also know the benefits of Squash 57, of retaining people. I actually quite enjoy the game. I think it's great. I'm getting a bit older. I'm not able to, to play the game and not feel as stiff as I used to. So I have, I have a lot of, lot of 
you know, I, I'm not a squash 57 player, but I'm, I'm definitely know the, the importance of it. But this particular story I wanted to tell you. So I had a player in, in Jersey called Charlie Griggs, who was, is a super guy. He's um, very, very clever guy and loves squash. And, you know, and I said to him, look, I, I want to send you away to Ponte for like a couple of weeks. And his, his grandfather lives in, or his grandmother lived in Doncaster, which was only 45 minutes away. So I said, I want to take you, I want to send you there for a couple of weeks. Are you keen? He's like, oh, I'd love to. So I said, right, I ring Mal. So I got on the phone. I said, Mal, it's Nicky T. How are you doing? He's like, how are you doing? Yeah, what, what do you want? And I went, typical Mal. <laughs> and I said, I said, look, I want to just ask a favour. And, and, and I said, um, and he, he said, yeah, of course. And he, I said, I've got a player here who I'd love to send over to train with you for a couple of weeks. And, it, and I said, can he come? And he said, is he a nice kid? And I went, Malk, I wouldn't be on the phone. He's a super kid. You'll have a lot of time for him. He's incredible. And I wouldn't be ringing you if he wasn't. He went, no problem. This, he didn't ask his level. He didn't ask no. how good he was, nothing. So we arranged this trip. So he goes over and Charlie's in the club at like 9.30 for a 10 o'clock session. I said, make sure you're... And he would be early anyway, but he gets there early. And, and Mal comes in and he says, morning, Charlie. He said... Um, a bit of bad news, a bit of good news, a bit of bad news. The bad news is that we're quite light on numbers today. So he's like, no problem. I'll, you know, if there's one player, I'll hit with him. Just tell me, I'm here to learn from you, Malcolm. He said, oh, you know, th that's good. And he said, you know, the good news is you're going to be training for two hours with James Wilstrup and Shirav Gussell. <laughs> right. So, so bearing in mind that Charlie is, you know, 18, 19 years old, he's, He's a good player. It's certainly all his own. But I mean, can you imagine? It's like it's like you going on a soccer pitch with you know Ronaldo and Messi for an hour. I mean, they'd run rings yeah. around you, wouldn't they? So yeah. so he rang he rings me up and he said, Nicky T, I, 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 what am I going to do? And I'm like, Are you kidding me? That's like you get on there, you run for every ball, you chase everything down, like I know you will, and just enjoy it. Yeah. So he went on there and um, and it, he rang me after the session and Mal actually gave him a bollocking on the session because when they changed for a water break, he walked off be between before Shirav and James. And he said, oh, what yeah. the hell are you doing? He said, get back on court. He said, James comes off first, then Shirav and then you. And, and he said, oh, sorry, Mal. And he said, no, it's no problem. Just learn from it and make sure it doesn't happen again. So he got his bollocking and and yeah. not deliberate. He didn't think, did he? He just walked off court. Those are great. Those are great experiences. I mean, I oh, love stories like that. Oh. Yeah, unbelievable. And um, yeah. and you know, he he rang me after and he and he he was nearly in tears and he went, "That's the best experience of my life." He said, "I'll never have that experience again." And I said, "Well, you will because you're doing it this afternoon." Because I spoke to Malk, <laughs> and he was back on. He had four hours. Can you imagine? Wow. Like and most coaches would say, go and do a solo practice. Yeah. But Malk in, incorporates that, just shows the confidence, his ability, and how how he just shapes his players. And that that speaks volumes. Of the also, man. I mean, uh, uh, for James and, and Sarf to, to just go ahead and do it as well without blinking an eye, probably. Not blinking an eye. If Shirav would have questioned it, He'd have been asked to leave the club. Yeah. And he's nine in the world. Yeah. So 
you, that's the type of person he was. And I know Lee Beach will, you know, I've got another story about Beach where, you know, we we played French League together and we're, we're getting quite good money for French League. And at the same weekend was a Pontefract match where if you're from Pontefract, you play for Pontefract for free. You don't get paid. You, it, right. you know, minimal payment maybe. So Beach plays, he's world number one. He's yeah. with me playing French League. And I'm like, Ponte are playing national clubs, aren't they? He's like, yeah, but don't mention anything. Uh, you know, I'm here because, you know, Malt won't find. I went, Beach, how is Malt not going to find out about that? It's going to be on squash site in like an hour. Are you kidding me? So he goes back Monday and uh, Beach rings me and's like, Malt's banned me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he banned him for like a month. He said, he's oh. world number one. He said, I don't want to see you. Go, just go away. He said, yeah, you, I don't want to see you for a month. And he had to go and train at Queen's. And that, I mean, yeah. to have the balls to be able to do that, Jerry, oh, and right. beat, respect it and go back. Yeah. I mean, he was really hit hard by it, wasn't he? I mean, everyone was, but he seemed really. I, I, I Beach would have cried yeah. all day. It, it, uncontrollably. It, it, yeah. it, you just can't imagine how that would affect a beach. It would have yeah. been distraught. And and the impact that Malk had on people's lives was was unbelievable. And I was nowhere near as close to Malk as Beach and obviously James and Dave and and few of his other players. But, you know, I mean, I, I had the honour of back in 2004 of uh, the National League team, which is now PSL, Manchester joined Pontefract as a, as a joint team. And oh. Yarrow Abbas, who's a fantastic guy, a good friend of mine, he made me captain of the team that year and he made Malcolm coach. And, you know, we had Lee Beachel, James Wilstrop, myself, Marcus Barrett, uh, Madeline Perry, and a few other, you know, very good players who were nowhere near going to make the team like Andy Whip and those players who just were not good enough. And uh, I think James was below me on the team at the start of that season and actually ended up, you know, going above me. But, um, you know, he was, um, you know, that season was amazing because we won the league. Yeah. And, you know, Mal came up to me at the end. We, you know, I played the deciding rubber uh, at Aberdale and beat Dallaris in that, that, that not, not the, it wasn't a crucial game, but it was, it was, you know, I think we were probably, I think we were probably two up and it was four man team and, you know, that match that I was going to win was going to win, you know, I won it and we're three nil up and we weren't going to, we, yeah. we couldn't lose. You so, couldn't lose. Yeah. you know, that was a big part of me. And and I remember being in the back uh, after the matches and there was one more match to go on. I think Beach was going on or James was going on against uh, Adrian Grant and Mal came up and shook me hand. He said, you've done a good job this year. Um, you know, fair play. And, and that was a fantastic performance under pressure. Uh, yeah. Pack crowd at Aberdeer, which is an amazing court, you know, unbelievable history with, you know, Jeff on Jonah Barrington finals. And I know it's a glass court now, but, you know, that meant a lot to me for Mal. Because if I, if I hadn't played well and I hadn't done a good job, he'd have said, you know what, you were crapping that match and you let the team down <laughs> and you've done a crap job this season. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, it was it was nice that he, he you know, I'll, I'll again, I'll never forget that. Absolutely. Uh, what great memories they, they are. You mentioned Marcus uh, Barrett and he, uh, I mean, I've been through a lot of the tributes and uh, his sort of stuck out just in terms of uh, 
sort of uh, the palpable things that he had to say. So he uh, he said in terms of uh, on-court stuff, there were th- uh, like five things that Malcolm told his players. And I just wanted to get your, your feedback on it. He said, uh, Malcolm said to be relaxed, uh, hit the ball uh, cleanly, keep it tight, express yourself and be tough. Those were his five, I guess, Malcolm's on-court uh, mantra. Uh, yeah. what, what do you uh, uh, speak to, to that kind of uh, philosophy that, that Malcolm Well, no, was no, it was. And I mean, that, that's I, pretty much James right there, isn't it? It, it? it is, Jerry. And I think, you know, I'll be not, not controversial, but I think this is something that I probably would, you know, disagree with Malcolm. And I, I, well, you, well, you couldn't disagree with Malcolm because it's how it is. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. So you don't disagree with him. You take, take things away. And I think the one thing that Malcolm liked is, you know, typically on a Boston drive routine, never wanted you to return to the team. So he wanted you to work across the back, work in the front and be very, and, and you know, very balanced on the shot. Don't apply too much movement and put yourself under pressure, which to be honest, for juniors is is really important because they don't have the strength. So I think there has to be a balance. And I think if you look at what Malk's produced player-wise, he's produced 60-plus, and I'd probably say 70-plus, British junior champions. Not all of those players have gone on to be brilliant professional players because I don't think they get that real detailed technical work, which, which look, you know, I know you know, Sam Todd says he's never had an individual lesson off Malk, but, and it is true, but he is getting some individual technical attention from probably people like Dave Campion. You do need that technical work and you can only do that one-to-one. So, you know, I think, you know, if you can't move on a court, you ain't playing squash. You know, if your technical isn't right, you're not able to play tactically well. So, you know, his players, his junior players were incredibly accurate Mm. because he sort of took away the the movement element and got you, did not completely took the movement element away, but he did that in open skill, but not so much in practice. So, you know, I think there's there's a place for that. And I think with younger juniors, I think we limit movement or I limit movement and then, and try and get a bit of movement, maybe in match play. And then with the older players, you try to get them to, to learn tactical, to take away pressure on the movement. So right. very height, defend well, defend at the right times, attack when you're creating attacking opportunities. So, you know, I, and that's what I think I've taken away from, you know, coaches like, you know, Rod Martin, Rod Owen, Robert Owen, you know, Dave Pearson, Neil Harvey, Paul Wright, uh, Malcolm, you know, God, the list goes on. Uh, where I've taken snippets of 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 things and and adapted it and and shaped my coaching style okay. over the last twenty years. Yeah, I think what uh, what Marcus sort of was getting at, and then and then just look at a guy like James. I mean, he just so accurate with it, with every, everything. Uh, I mean, you watch him play and every time I watch him play win or lose uh, the accuracy within which uh, he plays just about every, every shot is there's no one else. I don't think any, anyone else who's played the game has been as accurate. as Well, him. well I, can tell you now, I can tell you now that Malcolm, uh, James Wilstrop were in 10 years time will still hit tighter 
than the top players in the world. I'll, I'll guarantee yeah. it. So, because he'll still go on and do his solo practice. So, you know, James, and I think he'll probably admit this, that he he's he's not the greatest mover in the world. Right. You know, he, he's not. And he'll admit that, you know, when you look at players like Rodriguez or, you know, Ferrag, how smooth he is and how fast he is, he's not. But it doesn't really, you know, Nick Matthew was a little bit like that. He wasn't an unbelievable mover of the court, but didn't matter because, you know, Nick the Wolf was on the volley and in that T position like it was his. The yeah. marksman James was just so accurate on his lines that he didn't expose himself movement wise. Yeah. So although these players could move around the court, of course they would. They're not renowned for their for their movement. Um, they're renowned for for other parts of the game, and and um, you know definitely James is just outrageously oh. accurate. And oh, and honestly, when he retires, I can guarantee you in an alley game, in in ten years time, he would probably push a world number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, just on an early game, you yeah. know, because because he, he's just he's just so good. I mean, you I mean, you, you get these guys like Dasuki, He's must must watch. Uh, Abdul Gawad is must watch. I mean, guys with a lot of flair and great racket skills and movement. But I I always say James is much must watch because he's I mean, oh, regardless yeah. of whether you know he's playing well or not, just what he he can do with the ball and and how tidy well, it's and that's a, I guess speaks to. Uh, what Malcolm obviously uh, taught him through the year. Absolutely. But you, but you pick two players there. It's like, you know, how many times do people talk about Shibana? I mean, Shibana was yeah. just, just a completely naturally gifted. I mean, you know, must watch. Yeah. It, he's a must watch, but he's, you can't, you're not going to get many players. I won't see one of my players hit a ball as clean as Shibana. It's not going to happen. No. You know, Gawad's very similar you know, Dazuki, you know, not quite as good as those two, but still very, very good. Those yeah. are natural ball strikers that, you know, there's no way Nick Matthew, you know, even James hits as clean a ball as that. So James, yeah. James is more of a sort of a manufactured to, to a degree, not manufactured, but he's, he, I, I, you could probably get someone to play more like James than play more like Shabana. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you understand what I mean? I understand. It, yeah, yeah. Easier task. Um. So, but that's not. Yeah. If I if I go out yeah. on the court tomorrow and I try to you know sort of, sort of play tight and play you know play to good length and really focus on on that, I there's a certain you know I might be able to to improve that element of my game. Absolutely. Because, yeah. yeah. Do, do some but, technical tweaks to your game, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. you work on trying to get tighter and tighter and tighter and yeah. and look. You know, James has got that tight, not because he was born like that, because the guy's solo practices every day and just drop and drive every day. And he's done it for probably 30 years yeah. every day or every other day. It's not by accident James Woolstrop hits the ball that clean and tight. It's no. it's grooved and practised. And the hours and hours, I know, uh, you know, James... James was behind me. I saw him develop as a player and I know what he's done and, and it's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Marcus also said that uh, off the court, the mantra, uh, Malcolm's mantra was respect, manners, humility, and uh, as we spoke to earlier, a sense of humor. Um, so what, what would you uh, have to say about that? 
Well, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree. I'd agree with what he says on the court. I agree even more off the court and something that, you know, I talk to my American kids about all the time because, look, you know, I'm trying to inspire my players to, if they if they love the game, they want to play it more. If they want to play it more, they want to get better. If they want to get better, they work on technical. If they get te- technical work, they then want to do solo. It's a knock-on effect. That's my job to inspire them to love the game. Okay. A lot of coaches are just like, let's get them to college and that's it. So kids get to college and then they don't want to play anymore. So, you know, the best player will not necessarily go to college because you've got to be respectful. You've got to be humble. You've got to be a nice person. That's what I coach every single day. You've got to say thank you and you've got to say please. You know, bar one or two kids, I mean, and they just have to be reminded because they're young. Every kid comes up to me on my clinic and says, thank you. Every one of them. They're nice kids. They're respectful. There's the odd one that doesn't. And actually, they're not there anymore. They they go somewhere else. Um, You know, so if they're not doing that, then they're going to be disrespectful to the coach and not accepting it. So absolutely that you've you you know that is such an important part of you know and look the players from Pontefract had an, had an edge to them they they were competitive you know some players didn't like the Pontefract environment they didn't like playing there they didn't like the people they didn't like the players but you know the bottom line is is th- those players are respectful to others that they're, they're tough competitors um, you know, typical young, the they have an edge to them, but but yeah. they're they're good people, yeah. and um, you know, and that's that's you know, you see that coming through Sam Todd now, and you mm. know, he he's you know, he'll be you know, he's actually coming staying with us in July, and he'll be respectful and thankful, and he'll work hard and train hard, and he'll pass his knowledge on, and it's that's very important. That's and that's that's Malcolm's first important thing. I mean, if you're not that, don't come. You could be world number one, not interested. Well, that was, uh, I mean, one of the things that another, I mean, we can speak all day about the, um, the James's skill set, but uh, we can also talk about his on court, uh, you know, the respect that he has on court for his opponent and the officials. I mean, so many times you've, I've seen a, you know, bad call here and there against him, and he just doesn't do anything, you know, just kind of yeah, looks up and, and says really nothing and, and goes on and, and plays the next point. Uh, and probably wins it, you know. And, and yeah, and I think that's that's probably the clash between Nick and James. That that you know, it's not the fact that Nick and James don't like each other. They do. They have a huge amount of respect, but they're just different people. And people say, "Who's your favourite?" And I probably relate a little bit more to Nick because I'm that fiery type, heated, like hot-headed type character a little bit. But I. Both for me are, are, are equal in regards to you know stature and, and how good they are, but but they're just different. So Malcolm would not agree with Nick Matthews on court no. at all, no. and that that would then impact you know James's relationship with Nick. And I think Nick said that you know his relationship with Malcolm after he retired definitely thawed, and they had some good conversations and and actually a bit of a, of a laugh of previous matches and yeah. you know well James Nick- I mean James probably realized I mean he's been around the game at that you know been on court with so many great players over the years with so many different personalities I mean he's obviously he obviously knows uh 
what's going on. And he, you know, he probably wants to have relationships with everybody. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And look, you know, there's no two people the same, but it's, it's how you, it's how you shape those players to try and, you know, look at someone like a Roger Federer who was a complete hothead as a kid. Look at him now. Yeah. Completely calm, in control, respectful, humble, will take time to speak to people, sign autographs. He's just a class act. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that you can be a champion and be that. And, you know, that's what I'm sure that, you know, squash coaches, not every one of them, but that's what we try to try to produce. Yeah, definitely. Now there, just one more thing, uh, Nick, you, you, and I wanted to get sort of where this came from. You, you posted, uh, I think it was on Facebook or social media, a quote, it, it was a, Malcolm ordered no blacks, tracksuits, of course, to be encouraged, shirts not necessarily tucked in. Was this a quote from, uh, from James himself, or was this something that, uh, that you picked up uh, somewhere um, else? And what's well, the backstory there? J well, James did say in his statement that, you know, Malcolm ordered that. And, right, right. you know, I, 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 I don't want to say anything out of turn here, but, I would have I would have said Malcolm would have had a couple of things to say in his final moments, and one would say, one would be, "Do not let Pontifract and those kids down." You know, he'd 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 want James and Vanessa, who look have both been well number one in their own right. I mean, to try and find the right person or step in for now, I don't know, but he he will want that that to continue. Uh, it meant everything to him. It was his life, um, and you know he would have he he would have also definitely have have said, you know, don't have a good time at my funeral. Turn up in tracksuits, you know, have a laugh, you know, and that's how Malcolm was, and and you know he he was an eccentric guy, and and but you know I loved him for that, and. Um, you know, I love the way he was. I love his honesty. You know, I just never looked at Malk and thought, you know, I just don't like you for saying that. It was just, it was, it, you know, maybe some things were a bit below the belt, but it was, it was honest and it was sometimes, you know, it was, had to be said to people. Yeah. And, yeah. um, no, I, re know, I remember, uh, I don't know if you remember, it was a world team championship. Uh, in France, it might have been in France. It was Gregory Galchet might have been still a junior, and, I, and yeah. he just—I think they were playing England—and he might have just beaten Lee Beachel, and he yeah. kind yeah. of went crazy after beating him. And then uh, yeah. I think Mal Malcolm said a few, you know, you know, wasn't very pleased with his uh, on-court behavior, uh, Gregory's after that match. And I think a lot of people probably agreed with him uh, in terms of that. And maybe Gregory himself kind of looked back on it and, you know, thought, yeah, maybe, you know, Greg's a flamboyant character, but uh, you know, I always find him to be, he's never really disrespectful to anyone uh, these days. Uh, uh, he probably learned a little bit from what Malcolm had to say uh, in the aftermath of that. No, and I think, you know, I, I, you know, I think in the, you know, in the heat of those moments and look, you know, Malcolm has not been in the heat of those moments. Let's be honest. Yeah. He's not played at that level. So, you know, sometimes, you know, players, and I'm not saying he 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 wasn't right telling Galtier off because I, I know Galtier well and 
I know what he can be like. Um, you know, playing England v France and and you know, you know, got quite a funny story about that. But um, you know, it, it he he will have definitely reflected. Not not Greg wouldn't have regretted doing it, but he, he probably reflected and because he, he'll have a, a lot of respect for Malcolm. So, um, you know, and I, I'm sure I've done things. You know, I can't remember ever getting a proper bollocking off him, but um, I'm sure he's had he's had a couple of little words saying, you know, you shouldn't be arguing with a ref like that. It's not acceptable, you know. And, you know, he, he's, he's probably right, and he is right, because it yeah. loses concentration. But, it, it, you know, I just struggled with that a little bit. Um, but, you know, yeah, he, he was, you know, I don't think anyone, it, you know, I'm sure some of the crowd who, who, who don't appre- really appreciate squash might say a few bad words about Malcolm or, or give him a bit of a back chat back, but no one, no one who really knows Malcolm and knows squash would sit there and take that and then not probably disrespect him too much. No, I, th- I mean, uh, you, you, you look at the, the, the outpouring of sentiment from the, the squash community, all the players, uh, I mean, everyone is, uh, you know, very, very, uh, you know, some heartfelt tributes from everybody out there. And I think that just speaks to the respect across the board that everyone has for him, uh, you know, despite uh, maybe maybe his you know views on, on squash that might clash with other other people. Definitely, but but I think you know, like you say, you know, I think what's important now is two. There's there's a there's a you know there's a sort of a, a positive to this and a negative. The positive is that you know Pontefract Squash Club will not will will not let Malcolm be forgotten. He will I'm sure there will be tributes all the way through the club of his achievements, what he's done, you know, probably even a statue. You know, if I if I had if I if I had enough money, I would I would commission a, you know, a twenty thousand pound statue made of bronze and put him outside Pontifract. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, oh, on the belt. Hey, that that's an absolute cracking call. That is that is absolutely unbelievable, and that pose that there is—they've got the, 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 that is exactly what should be done. They should be up there. That's a brilliant suggestion, and we should do a GoFundMe page and 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 get that done because that would be that would be very very special. And you know, um, I'll, I'll I'm definitely going to suggest that to Matt. Yeah, um, but but and the, the negative is you know England has another void. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, that is that is tragic because because you know, even James going into that role, he ain't going to fill Malcolm's boots. There's no way. Malcolm's Malcolm. Yeah. Malcolm's not going to fill James's boots as a player. It's just they're just you can't fill those boots. It's impossible. Yeah. It's like James, Alex Ferguson leaving. James, James will like, uh, will do his best to go in there and of course, uh, and, and yeah. he'll put and, and that doesn't mean it will be negative. There'll be a positive element to it, and it might be a little bit lighter in the discipline or whatever, and might get more kids because of his name. I, I don't know. There's, I'm sure there'll be a positive to it, mm. but it was like, how do you follow Alex Ferguson into Man United? How? No one has. It's impossible. It's not possible. <laughs> Yeah. So it has to be a cultural change that takes a long time. And, and that's, the, that's the sad thing about, you know, he has produced, most of his players have gone on to be European number ones, not just England number ones. 
So who's going to produce those next European number ones for England? Can't see it coming. It's a problem. Yeah. It's a worry. Well, Nick, yeah. Well, Nick, uh, really appreciate this. Has been fantastic. Um, really appreciate your time here today. Is there anything else uh, we left out uh, um, before we? No, this is your third appearance, by the way. Appreciate it. No, no, thank you. Thanks for having me. I I appreciate um, you having me on. But I think, um, no, I just think, you know, I think it's nice that you've been, you've, you've recognized the, um, you know, um, you know, Malcolm and, you know, hopefully, I don't know whether you could get James on here because I think it'd be great from someone that close to him um, to, to just see well, how got, uh, David David's going to come on next week. Well, that's that's great, and David David's you know that that's fantastic to get him on there. So uh, he'll talk a lot about about what what has already been said because anyone that's had the privilege to work with Malcolm, thank goodness I had you know my son who who had the the, the chance. No, I was going to ask you about that. That was one thing I had uh, wanted to ask you was. Uh, you know, not, not from your perspective, but from uh, from Charlie's perspective. Uh, what was his takeaway from well, from uh, you know his his me his experiences with Malcolm? Well, I think you know, I mean, we we I was in Jersey when Charlie was growing up, so we we didn't have that. You know, if I'd have been in Manchester, he'd have been at Pontefract at least once a week somehow. You know, whether Sarah would have driven him across or somehow he'd have been in that session, in that structure, because it's important. Just, even if it's not from a squash perspective, which obviously it is, just from like, you can't behave like that. Just a couple of bands to to know how you how to behave. Just just that is good in itself. But but um, he was too young. I mean, I, I took him over there. We went over for a tournament. I rang him up. I said, look. I'm going to be, I can't even remember where we were, but I, I'm flying into Liverpool. I want to bring Charlie over uh, for like a few hours just to, and he's like, yep, yeah, come in. And we went in and and Charlie was too young. It, you know, I just remember being, in, he, uh, oh, he'd have been, he'd have been like probably nine or 10. Right. That time, maybe 10, because he was playing under 11s. And I, and I, and I just said, look, make sure you behave, make sure you try hard. So you got to, you know, and Mal sent me away, did no comments, like sit on the, and I just sat and watched and, and I took a photo. I don't know if you saw it. I, I found it on my photo roll and, you know, it's got Malcolm on the balcony with Charlie receiving serve. And, and I actually sent Charlie that and I said, you've got to treasure this photograph because you don't realize what you've got yeah. right there. Just, and he, he doesn't really get it. He doesn't understand, but I think, he'll not forget that experience and those times with Malk. You don't yeah. forget those. No, no. But, um, you know, I just wished I, I would have had another opportunity. You know what, Jerry, just before we finish, I I have an email from Malcolm at the end of April because I was going to send two players over for two weeks. And that was Charlie and one of his best friends over here, Nihal, who's loving squash and, I was going to get them on a plane and, and it, it wasn't going to work out just because of the pandemic, but they were going to go over. They were going to stay with Mick Todd and Sam Todd. And then they were going to train every day with Malcolm. I've got the email saying, you know, looking forward to seeing them and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'm so sad about that because yeah, yeah. he'd have been a 16, nearly 17 year old going in there and just got a completely different yeah. experience. I would have been able to put things in perspective a a little bit more, right? Absolutely. But 
he, I will always remind him of people like Malk and the, and the past generations. And he knows, he knows people like Rodney Martin, Brett Martin, Jonah Barrington, Malcolm Wilstrop. You know, he knows all these players because I tell him he, he needs to know the history of the game, yeah. not just the current players. I mean, not even half my kids know who Ali Farag is. I mean, what's going on? So you get them to watch squash, learn about it, find a player they, they relate to who they, oh, I quite like his encore persona or her, how she plays and and go and watch it and learn from that. And and that's something I'm desperately trying to create here in America. That's brilliant. Uh, Nick, uh, you know, uh, what you said today is uh, absolutely uh, spot on and a, a tremendous uh, tribute uh, to Malcolm and uh, James and, and the family. Good to see you and good to speak to you. Well, many thanks to Nick for that, and it was a tremendous uh, tribute to Malcolm there. Uh, you can just see how uh, how much of an impact uh, Malcolm has had on Nick over the years, and even up until most recently, as, uh, as he said about uh, the story of having just referred his son to Malcolm and Malcolm uh, agreeing to take it on uh, most recently. Um, I know this was a tough, time, a tough ask for Nick, but he was more than, than happy to do it, and he did a fantastic job. Uh, so thanks so much to Nick. We have one more uh, tribute, and that will be uh, Malcolm's stepson, David, uh, David Campion. He'll be coming on uh, early next week and really looking forward to that one. And uh, shortly after that, we're hoping to have uh, Sabrina Sobe uh, come on. That'll make a, we'll be having uh, both Sobe sisters now on the podcast. Looking forward to that one as well, and several others uh, in the hopper as well, as they say, in, in the industry. So uh, thank you, everyone, so much. Uh, please share uh, these episodes. We've got 193 now. There's a big, uh, you know, big catalog there for you to go through, dating all the way back to the very first one with Neil Harvey. We've got so many uh, good ones in there. Uh, depending on uh, your flavor of squash, whether it's coaching, you want to listen to the players, you want to listen to uh, some great stories and anecdotes from some uh, some who've been in the squash scene for many years. Well, just go through the catalog and take a look, and uh, know you'll find something of interest. But uh, we've got some good ones coming up, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy those. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy. If you're playing squash, enjoy. If not, uh, hang in there, and hopefully you'll be back on court soon. Take care and have a great day. Goodbye now.